0: Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Our kind Father in heaven, great is your faithfulness. And Lord, we pray that we will be faithful to you. And as we open your word today, we pray that you'll open our hearts and open our minds to what you would have us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. I was a pastor of a, several retirement churches in Florida, some dear people. And then the Florida Conference asked me to go to Forest Lake Academy, there to be the chaplain. Forest Lake at that time there in Orlando was growing and growing because uh, uh, you might have heard of Mickey Mouse. He had just moved to the Orlando area just previous to that and the academy was growing. More people were moving in and the academy was now between 450 and 500 students. It was my goal to try to get acquainted with each student And that was a challenge. It was the beginning of one school year and a student came up to me and said, "Uh, have you talked with Paul Kegler yet? I said, no. I said, I I know who he is. He said, you need to get Paul to come by your office and just ask him where he's from. Got my curiosity up. And so I, I saw Paul. Paul was a very shy, bashful young man. And I talked him into coming into the office and we talked about how school was going. Then I said, uh, so Paul, where are you from? He said, well, I have some relatives up in New York, but now I'm living with my sister in a little town in Georgia. I said, what's that? He said, Plains. Nowadays, if you say Plains, Georgia, most people go, hmm? But in the mid 70s, most of the people in America had heard of Plains, Georgia because that was a town of the governor of Georgia, Jimmy Carter, who was running for president. So I was curious. I said, I didn't know there were any Adventists there in Plains or a church there. He said, well, there isn't, but there's a church over in Americas. My sister and I go over there. But uh, he said, uh, I do know Jimmy Carter. I said, you do? He says, that's quite a story. I said, could you tell me? And he told me. He was planning on coming down to Forest Lake Academy and knew it was very expensive. And so he needed a job. And the only job there locally was at the peanut warehouse. And so he went to get a job and they hired him. And he thought he made it clear that he wanted his Sabbath off. Saturday was his Sabbath. But it came up the first Friday. And his work supervisor said, We'll see you tomorrow. And he said, No, I, I don't work. That, I, that's my Sabbath. I, I can't work. He said, You either, we don't let people have Saturday off here. You come to work tomorrow or, or you don't come back at all. And Paul said, Well, can I talk to the owner? <laughs> and the supervisor said, You know, Jimmy Carter, he's running for president. <laughs> he said, But he happens to be in town this weekend. If you want to go over, give it a try. This bashful young 16-year-old went over to the Carter family estate and security let him in and he sat down with Jimmy Carter. He explained to Jimmy Carter his situation. Jimmy Carter said, I don't agree with you. I think Sunday is the right day to worship, but I respect any young person that has high principles and values and stands for what they believe in. He says, young man, you can have your Sabbath off. And that fall, while Paul was a student there at Forest Lake, Jimmy Carter got elected president of the United States. And I thought to myself, wow, this 16-year-old bashful young man has become our church's ambassador to the president of the United States. The Bible tells about a young person who became ambassador To the most powerful person in the world. She didn't intend to. She didn't set out to. But she became the ambassador. And her story. I think is significant for us. I think it has meaning for us. That's why I'd like to share it today. And the situation. Around 480 years before Christ. The place Susa. The capital of the empire. That stretched from. India to Ethiopia, the Mediapitian Empire, 3,000 miles, 127 provinces. The leader was a king, his name in Latin, Ahasuerus, in Greek, Xerxes. In English, the best translation for him would be King show Because that's what he liked to do more than any other thing, was to show off everything he had. So let's take a look at it. If you have your Bibles, you find it in Esther 1, verse 1. And I'm reading in the Revised Standard Version. In the days of Hazoerus, who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces, those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa the capital, In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and servants, the army chiefs of Persia and Media, the nobles and governors of the provinces being before him. While he showed off, I added off, but that's appropriate. While he showed off the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his majesty for many days, 180 days. Did you get it? For six months, he shows off to all these guests his royal capital, and everything he has. But he's not done showing off. Now he's decided for one week to show off his palace to the locals there in Susa. And uh, verse 6 describes his palace. There were white cotton curtains and blue hangings and caught up with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver. Think of that, couches of gold and silver. On a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stone. Now he shows off his palace and he's not done showing off. Uh, On the seventh day, verse 10, on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine. Did you get that? The heart of the king was merry with wine. This is a biblical euphemism for the king was dead drunk. (laughs) Had been drinking for seven days when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded his eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show off, I added off, but that's appropriate, to show off the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to behold. So now he decides he's going to show off his queen. Queen Vashti is one of the more underrated people in the Bible. Because when she gets the message, she says, in so many words, I will not be treated like a piece of meat in front of a bunch of drunken howling wolves. You can go tell the king to sit on attack. In so many words, that's what she says. And the king is furious. He doesn't know what to do. So all he calls is counselors before him. What are we going to do? And his counselors say, you can't let her get away with this. If you do, our wives will start thinking they have brains. You can't let her get away with this. You've got to fire her. And so he fires her. We don't know if he officially beheads her or just exiles her. But she's gone. And now there's a contest for a new queen. And it is quite a contest. Some of you might remember back in the 1950s, there was a huge, huge thing here in the United States and it was called the Miss America Beauty Pageant. It got the top ratings of the year. This was before the Super Bowls. It got the top ratings of the year. The winners from the 50 states gathered in Atlantic City. Some of you are nodding, you remember? They gathered in Atlantic City. They had various contests. And then the winner was declared and Burt Parks... Gets up to sing, there she is, Miss America. And oh, people are cheering as she goes down the walkway. They had quite a contest there in Persia. Because you know what the Bible says? That they bathed, the contestants bathed six months in myrrh. This precious, uh, it's taken from from, uh, trees in the Far East. This precious substance that smells real good. When do we hear about myrrh in the Bible? Usually, Some are Christmas. Christmas, yeah, yeah, Christmas. Uh, the one of the wise men gifts, you know, the golden frankincense and myrrh. But it's not the only time it's mentioned in the Bible. In Psalms, uh, it's mentioned that myrrh is used to help your clothing smell good, and in Proverbs, it's used to make your bedding smell good. And so myrrh is used for various things. And the Bible says that the contestants bathed six months in myrrh. That wasn't enough. Then six more months in other precious ointments. They must have smelled really good (laughs) when they came before the king. (laughs) And they would come before the king and the king would look. (laughs) Good, but not quite. Not quite. In that land. There was a little orphan girl, and her name was Hadassah. She had been orphaned as a little girl. We don't know how, but the Bible says her mother and father died. My heart goes out to little orphans. The reason why is because as a kid, we used to go to Akron, Ohio, to visit my grandparents. and My grandfather worked at Goodyear Tyre, and my grandmother took in foster children. Two, three, four at a time. And my brother and I would sleep in the upstairs bedroom with all those bunk beds with these little little uh, foster children, often orphans. And sometimes I'd ask them, so tell me about what happened. And they'd say, oh, my father's in prison and my mother's, my mother's on drugs or both my parents were killed in an accident. Oh, and my heart just broke for these little kids. Ah. Oh. Hadassah was a little orphan girl. But fortunately, she had an older cousin with a great big heart. And his name was Mordecai. And he decided to take in his younger cousin and adopt her and raise her and his family. And she grows and she grows and becomes a beautiful young lady. And Mordecai says to Hadassah, you ought to enter the contest. She says, no, I'm not one of them. <laughs> Oh, come on. Go ahead. Enter the contest. You're beautiful. And so she comes before the king. The king looks at her. There she is, Miss Persia. The king has himself a new queen. who He names her Esther, meaning star. Estheronomy, the study of stars. She is now Esther. The new star. And boy, do they celebrate. There's not only a banquet, but the, the Bible says the king lowers taxes. <laughs> Politicians, if they want to become popular, right? right. Lower taxes. And then there are gifts of royal liberality, the Bible says. So <laughs> things are going well. People are really happy with the new queen. Things are going well. Except there is one person who is really unhappy And his name is Haman. And Haman has kind of a hobby. He hates Jews. Have you ever thought, it's interesting how Jew haters down through the centuries, it starts with, ha, Khomeini, Hitler, Haman. (laughs) Just coincidence, but. Oh, Haman especially hates one Jew named Mordecai. Because when Haman the prime minister comes to the gate, the other people at the gate there, oh, they bow down. Oh, great prime minister. But Mordecai doesn't. He just looks at her. Have a nice day. Gotta get rid of the Jew. Gotta get rid of all Jews. And so he devises a plot, a plan to get rid of him. He casts lots. In the original, in the language in the original, the term for casting lots is Purim. He casts lots to help him decide at what day he's going to suggest to the king to exterminate all these Jews. And the lots fall on the 13th day of the 12th month of Adar. And so Haman goes before the king and says, King, there are people in this land Who are not keeping your laws. They're keeping their own laws. They're not really serving you. They're serving someone else. Who knows. They may want to depose you. We need to get rid of them. And so the king seals with his ring. That on the 13th day of the 12th month. All the Jews are to be exterminated. The word began to get around. The word got out to Mordecai. It troubled him. Folks, it would trouble you if you were to hear that there's a new law here in our country that next month on the 13th day, all Seventh-day Adventists are to be exterminated. It would trouble you, wouldn't it? And Haman has told the king that he would take care of all the expenses 10,000 talents of silver, he said. That's $6 million. And so it'll be no trouble to exterminate all the Jews. And so Mordecai decides he's going to send a text message to Esther. And it wasn't really a text message, but it's the equivalent of, of in those days. He sent a message to the queen. You've got to. You've got to go before the king. And you've got to intervene for your people. And Esther sends a text back to to Mordecai. (laughs) Don't you know they're lost? You don't go before the king unless you've been invited. And the king's acting like a hermit. He hasn't had anybody come before him in 30 days. What do you want to be? Me to be another Vashti? The king doesn't like independent women thinking women. Mordecai sends a message back. But you've got to. Who knows if you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther sends back, I believe, some of the most noblest words in the Bible. Let me read them for you. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And she adds something that's sometimes overlooked in this story. She says, but Mordecai, I want you to do something too. I want you to fast and pray for three days and get as many people to fast and pray. And we'll be fasting and praying here at the court. Folks, sometimes we're faced with big decisions in life and sometimes smaller decisions. I believe it's a good thing to pray. And sometimes to fast. Right? Right. When we're facing decisions in life. And so they're fasting and praying at the court. And Mordecai is fasting and praying. And now the the queen gets ready to go before the king to the inner court. She she could get killed. And she goes in before him. And he looks at her. There was a... uh, a development at a a Troy developer a number of years ago at Mattel, uh, a sad thing happened. The voice box of Barbie got put into G.I. Joe. And the voice box of G.I. Joe accidentally got put into Barbie. And so when the little boys got their G.I. Joe doll home and pushed the voice box, G.I. Joe would say, let's shop till we drop. And the little girls got their Barbie doll home. And Barbie would say, hit the ground, hit it hard, hit it harder. (laughs) Needless to say, there were many amazed children and many amazed parents. And needless to say, there was one amazed king. Because he thought he got for himself in this new queen, this beautiful but empty brain, submissive Barbie. And what did he have for himself? He had this bold, courageous, life-risking G.I. Joe standing before him, risking her life. And he could have easily said off with her head, I remember Vashti. He didn't. He says, it's nice to see you. What do you want? I'll give you half my kingdom. (laughs) He's... Prone to exaggeration, hyperbole. I'll give you half my kingdom. And Esther says, hey, I don't want half your kingdom. You thought I was just a pretty face. I've learned a new talent. I've been reading in Persian living and I've learned to cook. I'm inviting you to a dinner later today. And the king says, oh, nice. I didn't know you cooked. And Esther says, just one little thing. Can Haman come too? And the king says, well, I think Haman would be honored. And so they all show up for the dinner, and, and it's a wonderful meal. And the king says, come on now, Esther, what do you really want? You risked your life. She says, I found a new recipe. We have another dinner planned tomorrow. When you want to come tomorrow? <laughs> he says, okay, and can Haman come too? Haman. Haman's going around there in Susa. Guess who got invited to the banquet with the king and queen? And you didn't. (laughs) Ah, he already has an ego problem. And now his head is about to explode. And so they sit down. And the king says, come on, Esther, what do you really want? She says, what I really want is to keep living. Because on the 13th day of the 12th month, all my people are going to be executed and me too. And I won't be cooking for you anymore. And the king says, what? And Esther says, we haven't been plotting against you. We don't want to take over your kingdom. We're serving a higher power in a better kingdom. We don't want to take over your kingdom. But somebody's been plotting against us. And the king says, well, who could that be? And Esther goes, Now Haman is squirming. And the king decides that on the 13th day of the 12th month. All the Jews can defend themselves. Haman ends up hanging. From the 75 foot gallows he planned for Mordecai. And there is a new prime minister. His name is Mordecai. And this part is it's wonderful. It's, it's often not even mentioned in this story. But I want to read you in Esther 9. Esther 9. And verse 22. It says, As the days... Of the, which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had ber- turned from them from sorrow into gladness, from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending choice portions to one another and gifts to the poor. Did you get that, folks? These should be days of celebration. Don't forget the poor. These should be days of perm, days of celebration. Don't forget the poor. And then in verse 28, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every family, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Folks, it is absolutely... I'm kind of chilled right now. It is just thrilling to be able to be an eyewitness to exact fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Because Sharon and I had the great blessing several years ago to go over for our first times in our lives to the Holy Land. And there, uh, a group from Loma Linda, Randy Roberts, and our pastor, Jamie Weingarter, led us to places where Jesus taught and Jesus lived. Oh, what a thrill. We were doubly blessed because it was during Purim. You would have to be there to see it and believe the fulfillment of what I just read. I would call it, I would call it a combination of 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Halloween, and Mother's Day. 4th of July. Why that? Because it's, it's, they're, they're celebrating. The bands are going up and down the streets. Patriotic songs taking pride in their country. Thanksgiving, they gather in the synagogues to give praise and thanksgiving to God during those days. Halloween? Yes. You know how Halloween goes here in the States. You know, the kids, some of the kids go out after school, dress up as their favorite character and go trick-or-treating. Over there, they dress up to go to school. You see them filing, <laughs> filing out of the houses, dressed as Queen Esther. Or Mordecai, or the king. And you have some Batman and Wonder Woman. Too. <laughs> you have a few like that. <laughs> and hanging from buildings, tall buildings all over Jerusalem, effigies. You know what effigy? Not a real body, but kind of like a body. And I, I asked our, our tour guide, so what's that all about? She says, you don't know? I said, No. She says, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. She says, that's Haman. After thousands of years, he's still hanging over there. (laughs) And (laughs) his family, they are still, (laughs) it's amazing. And also Mother's Day. Mother's Day is coming in several weeks, isn't it? I hope you've thought about that. If you've still got your mother around, don't forget her. But over there, It's kind of like Mother's Day because over there, they honor the fact that God used this simple little orphan girl, Hadassah, to become the mother protector of the country. They honor. It's kind of like a Mother's Day over there. Now, what can we learn from this story? Uh, Very few of us are called to be ambassador to uh, the president, right? Or even the governor. Or some great leader of some country. But all of us are called to be ambassadors. Every single one of us are called. Let me read the scripture that David read. i read it again. Second Corinthians 5 verse 20. So we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Did you get that? We are, not just some of us. All of us are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Ambassador where? I say ambassador in our field of influence. All of us have a sphere of influence. It may be in our homes, among our family. It may be in our neighborhood. It may be here at church. It may be at work. It may be at school. It may be at our grocery store locally wherever we are we are God's ambassadors God can use us when I was 15 years old I got my first job A prestigious job it was janitor at what used to be called the Texas Book and Bible House some of you might remember the term Texas Book now they call it Adventist Book Center but I got a job I needed a job and so I got a job cleaning toilets, and sweeping the floor, and mopping, and dusting, and I was only there about three days, and this new lady began working there, and uh, she had come from out of state. I didn't know anything about her, and she looks at me, and she says, we need to have a talk. I thought, oh dear, what have I done? I said, so what? She said, We've just moved from out of state, and it's my daughter, Donna, who will be in the ninth grade just like you. She says, I want to tell you something about Donna. Donna, when she was born, was a blue baby. And she explained to me, a blue baby, that a blue baby doesn't get enough oxygen at birth, and so there's learning difficulties, difficult speaking. But she says, Donna is a very sweet girl. Wherever we've been, people have teased her and taunted her. And I'm asking you to be her friend. Would you do that? Now, that's a heavy load to put on a teenage boy. And I got a level with you folks. I, I did not go out of my way to be her friend. But I didn't tease her and taunt her like some of the other kids. And I'll never forget that day. We were gathered on the bus to go home after school. And the bus driver, James, had to go into the office to get something. And while he was gone, no adult on the bus, several of the guys took my friend Rudy, picked him up, and shoved him down next to Donna, who was sitting alone. She always sat alone. And started taunting Rudy. Rudy and Donna sitting in a tree, K I S you know how that goes. Taunting him. And the face of Donna was just she was devastated. And then somebody says, hey, James is coming back. And James is coming back. So they let him go. And now James is back on the bus. And before James starts off the bus, my friend Alice got up from her seat and went over to Donna. And said, Donna, I'm so sorry they treated you like that. I said, they shouldn't do that. She says, Donna, I'll be your friend. And she became her friend. Donna craved that friendship. Donna would call Alice up before school and say, what do you think I should wear today? Uh, How do you think I should style my hair today? She needed that friendship. Donna's mother told me once that if it weren't for Alice, Donna was ready to take her life. But she said, well, at least I have one friend. Alice saved a life. I got an unexpected phone call several months ago It was Donna. I hadn't heard from her in decades. She wanted to know about our family. And I said, well, Donna, what about you? She says, well, my husband and I are now retired and we're volunteers at our church. And we're real real proud of our son. She told him about the son. And I thought to myself, Donna's life could have been over 60 years ago. But somebody stepped up and became an ambassador of Jesus' love and kindness. The Lord has called each one of us to be ambassadors in our sphere of influence for such a time as this. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we're so thankful that long ago, Hadassah stepped up and was willing to be your ambassador to the king and to that country. And thousands of lives were saved. Lord, we know you've called us each to be an ambassador in our own sphere of influence. None of us are perfect. All of us are sinners. But Lord, we know you can use us as your ambassadors. Help us to be willing to be ambassadors for you for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.